Welcome to Be Transformed with your host, Reverend Christopher Leshber. Be Transformed is an outreach of Romans 12.2 Men's Ministry, empowering men to overcome and thrive by breaking cycles of addiction, trauma, and generational curses. Romans 12.2's vision is healing families and society by transforming the minds of men into the mind of Christ through discipleship within a community of warriors for the kingdom of heaven. You can text or call them at 512 that's 238-0000 or romans-122.org. Romans-the-number-one-number-two-letters-t-w-o.org. Now, here's Christopher. Welcome back to Be Transformed. This is Isaac Cormier, uh, Romans 12.2 Men's Ministry. Uh, last episode was Nick to Nicholas, part one. Uh, looking forward to part two today. I'm joined here with Nicholas Lindsemeyer, our creative director, once more. And, uh, you know, as we were digging in a little bit to uh, through the childhood, uh, I've learned that you moved a lot, Nicholas. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you had to find your place, you know, growing up. And I know some of my story, it was like, as you move to that new place, it's like, okay, what are the cool kids doing? I had to fit in or I had to find some kind of performance of who my identity and you're searching for that. And, uh, and, uh, as you were leaving us off, you were coming up to that stage of I'm moving back to Dallas and, and it's going to be my high school years. And this is the place where your church is known for the home base was in Dallas. So, um, as I know some of your story already. I just really want to encourage you just to really open up and share with us what did that really bring forth in that, you know, that identity that you were wanting to share. Yeah. Um, appreciate it, Isaac. And, and the, that, like you said, that was the, the mothership. Dallas was the um, hub, if you will, of you know, the church movement that I grew up in was broken into regions and we were the South region. And so it was Dallas, it was Houston, San Antonio. Austin was a very small church at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I had come from Arkansas, um, you know, and from, I grew up in Louisiana and so Arkansas back to Dallas and Oklahoma was part of that too. So Dallas was like the mothership church and, um, everybody, you know, in that region looked to Dallas as like the, the example that's, you know, um, it was a big church and they had planted all of these other churches. And so that was kind of, um, you know, all of the, the big names, if you will, the, uh, you know, I hate to even say it like this, but like celebrities of our, of our church movement, you know, were, were in the Dallas church. And so, um, moving to Dallas, uh, you know, like you said, growing up, moving around, always being the outsider, always being the new kid, um, really trying to to find a way to um, to find value and, and acceptance and, and worthiness, you know, in in these groups as I'm moving around, bouncing from one to the other. Um, well, now I get a chance to be a part of like, you know, the big boy group. Right. And 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 moving up, it's like, you know, almost like getting called up to the major leagues, you right. know? Um, and so I was so excited in the way that the narrative played out in my head and in my heart was, okay, now I can be somebody, you mm-hmm. know? Um, now I don't have to be like the weird outsider kid or the new kid, um, you know, or, or anything like that, but now I can be, 
now I'm going to be a part of the Dallas church, you know. And um, so that narrative was kind of playing itself out as we moved to Dallas. Um, but unfortunately, you know, reality kind of let me down in that way. And it, it, what it really did was it kind of highlighted the the fact that I was an outsider, you mm-hmm. know, because I moved into Dallas and, and immediately, you know, I was it was the summer before my uh, freshman year in high school. And there were all these kids that I'd known since I was like eight years old because we'd gone to summer camp together. We had gone to, um, you know, they have these big um, uh, conferences where like all of the churches from the area would come together uh, in Dallas and we would have like a, a three or four day long conference. And so I knew a lot of these kids, um, you know, kind of from that perspective. But mm-hmm. um, but what I didn't realize was like they had known each other since they were like babies. They'd oh. grown up together, you know. Right. And um, there's this kind of, you know, tight knit group of like core kids of like children of leaders of the church that were you know, the kids that I was kind of thrust into the mix with. Um, but what it did was highlight, like, you're not one of us, <laughs> you uh, know, right. You're, you're okay. That's fine. You're here. You can be here. And, you know, but, but it made it like even more obvious to me. And so that was really hard to deal with. And I actually just even, uh, you know, in my mid twenties, I think I was having a conversation with one of my friends from that time period, uh, you know, we're still friends now and we talk a little bit, um, via, you know, social media and stuff, but he was like, yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know what the deal was, but like when you first moved to Dallas, like you were weird, hmm. like you were the weird kid. And, and his mom actually, he told me his mom actually like forced him to hang out with me. He was like, you're going to go hang out with Nicholas Lindsmeyer because you know, his, they just moved here and he needs a friend. And I was like, well, that makes me feel awesome. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, but I don't, I don't know what happened, man. Like somewhere around junior year, like you just, you just turned cool. And like, I was like, thank you. I guess I, that's a compliment. I don't know. Right. But, um, so, but just moving there right away, it was, it was clear off the bat, like, okay, this is like moving to the mothership, being a part of the Dallas church, like is cool and all, but it, what it really did was just amplify those insecurities that I had and that that narrative that had been running through my life and through my heart that yeah I'm an outsider I'm not good enough for these people I have to in some way meet their expectations through performance mm-hmm. or through you know this um, image that I portray yeah. in order to accept worthiness yeah and, and that word performance uh, just knowing a little bit more of your story and background that's that's a huge one that you've had to uh, really battle with and struggle mm-hmm. and wrestle with because it's almost like I have to perform to be accepted is what I just heard there yep and uh so you know what what some what what was some of that kind of enlightenment on a story or two that what did that kind of look like to make you feel like you need to perform to meet a certain status or expectation yeah well um one of the things that um, I realized right away was that you have to be, uh, an athlete. Hmm. Um, so all of the, the leaders, kids were athletes, uh, football players, basketball players, wrestlers, whatever. Um, and that was very much like touted as like, look, you need to be not only a leader in the church, but you need to be a leader in the community and somebody that people look up to and like, look at this kid, this kid, and this kid, look at what they're doing. 
and they were like captain of the football team mm-hmm. or, you know, like starting, you know, varsity as a sophomore or something. And so it was like, you need to be an athlete, which was fine. I loved sports. Um, but that just kind of um, reinforced that that performance brain. Like, okay, I got to do that. And so um, I started playing basketball. Um, I had actually quit baseball. Uh, well, I didn't quit, but I had stopped playing baseball since I was 12. And in my freshman year, I tried out for the baseball team. I got cut. Mm. And so I was like, well, that sucks. That's mm-hmm. – that was a big blow, you know, right. to that ability to, to measure up. Mm-hmm. And then I started playing basketball and I'm kind of tall. So that, that worked out better. You know, I made the team and I played, but, um, all of the kids that were being held up as examples were athletes. And then the second thing they were, they were visible. They were in front. They were doing things that, that the leadership would point out, say, look at what he's doing. Uh-huh. And so one of the other things that I started to do is I started to um, ask to be, I'd always loved worship in the church. And so I started to ask and, and kind of almost infiltrate the worship team mm. um, and just make myself a presence and push and ask. And so uh, even to the point of like at 16, I think uh, they started to allow me to, to lead corporate worship at Sunday morning services, which was not, you know, very common for someone 16 years old to be leading an adult service in corporate worship. Um, but that, that was like a way of, of attaining that affirmation, like, look at what I'm doing, you know? And so finding the ways to, to like, look, I can measure up in this way. Look, now I'm leading worship. Look, now I'm a varsity athlete. Mm. Look, now I'm doing this, doing, I'm checking all these boxes of of the things that I saw being held up, thinking that those were the things that were going to achieve that that worth and that acceptance. Yes, that's good. Yeah, and and yeah, you're in Dallas, right? You have to be an athlete. You're in Texas, right? Man, right. <laughs> so, but yeah, this as I see, which is, it's almost like the expectations were set at a certain standard by. But look at this! Look at this kid, or look at this person, and look at this. You have to get here to even be pointed at by leadership to say, "Oh, look at Nicholas! He's doing this or that." And we're uh, really while you're sharing in worship, man. Just knowing being with you at Huddle Bible Church, and you being in the front row, and and just you could see the worship and the intimacy with you and the Father, and and you you lead in that way, just in the community, just within the church community. I just say that's that's still something that's true inside you. I know that's that was something that the good Lord put in you early. I could, I'm glad yeah. you shared that with us. So well it's you know I'm I'm 6 foot 3. Yeah. And I don't like sitting in the back. I like to sit up up front and I like to to raise my hands and worship, you know. And so I'm 6 foot 3 already and I'm raising my hands and my hands probably go up to I don't know 7 and a half feet or so, you know, when I and so I'm kind of hard to miss in that regard. I feel kind of bad for some of the people that sit behind me, but yeah. Um, but so the, yeah, the, the story continues though with that, with that pursuit of, of the, um, affirmation from people. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I had an opportunity to go play college sports. Uh, it was a small community college that I made the team of in Dallas. And then I also had a D three offer, um, but what I ended up doing was 
not doing that so that I could go to Austin to move to Austin and go to college with all the other people that were, you know, that the examples, the friends, the, the guys that I were, you know, through high school were like, this is the guy you need to be like, this is the guy you need to be like, mm-hmm. we're coming to Austin to go to UT. And we'll just say that my grades weren't good enough to get into UT. Um, but, you know, I thought, well, shoot, they've got a community college. I can just, you know, so I came to Austin and kind of, um, you know, forsook my basketball uh, to be a part of, once again, the the crowd, so to be a part of of the people that I could be associated with that would give me affirmation and value, mm-hmm. you know, through being a part of, well, everybody's moving to Austin and Austin is like the new cool place. So if I'm in Austin, I'll be, you know, cool and I'll be accepted. And, and it sounds so elementary, right? Like I'll be a part of the in crowd and it, but it really is, you know, that's how our hearts work with, with narrative. You know, we want acceptance and we want intimacy and, and love, um, and we seek that through all these other things. And for me, it was these, you know, affirmations through performance so that people could look and say, yep, you're doing a good job. And so I moved to Austin and, um, you know, became a part of the ministry here and immediately was, you know, put in uh, in a leadership position with worship within the church and then was immediately, you know, starting to, you know, lead small groups within the campus ministry. Um, but you know, ultimately, um, to make a a much longer story short, um, you know, uh, I met a girl and, um, you know, that girl is now my wife, but, um, we, you know, wanted to date. We liked each other, but I was like, look, you're not a Christian and I can't, you know, so she studied the Bible with the girls that were there and became a Christian and we, but we quickly started living in sin together. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was called out by that. We actually went to the church and said, look, we're, you know, we're living in sin. And, and they said, look, you guys are bad for each other. You need to break up. Um, not good for each other spiritually. You need to mature separately. And <clears throat> excuse me, but um, really what, what that did for the narrative of my life was brought me like spiraling back down to uh, look, see, you're still not good enough. Mm. Even though you want to do all these things and you can lead worship and lead these small groups, look, you're still failing. You're still not measuring up. Wow. And um, without being, you know, um, accusatory towards the church, I don't feel like they handled it well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I definitely felt ostracized and, and like the black sheep. Mm-hmm. And ultimately that led to... Um, a couple years into college, uh, me just walking away from church in general and from a relationship with God. Cause I had this, this pattern now throughout my life of constantly being, um, the outsider, constantly being the new kid, constantly being, you know, feeling like I'm fighting an uphill battle, trying to earn people's, you know, affirmation and people's love and acceptance. And then, you know, just time and time again, no, still not good enough. No, mm. still not measuring up. And even at this point of like moving to Austin and leading in certain ways, feeling like I was getting to that point of getting that acceptance, it all comes crashing down with admittedly, you know, my own sin. Mm-hmm. But the message that was received in that time frame was not, see, you're still not good enough. Wow. And so at that point, my my narrative was, okay, fine. I'll go somewhere where I am good enough. 
right. and walked away. Mm. Yeah, because that's not the that's not the beautiful Jesus we serve, as we know. We he he died on that cross for all the you know we make mistakes and choices and and move. And as you're saying that, I was like, well, did they have like a like a roadmap or a blueprint of how to do it right or how to do it wrong? Or, I mean, did they lay that out for you? I mean, I'm just, you know, me, Isaac here, and I know we're on the radio, but Nicholas and I kind of, it's just my personality. I was like, well, if it's the can and can't do, did they give you a list of the cans you can do in dating and, and how to do it this certain way to perform a certain way? Or it was just like, but y'all did go to the leadership and say, hey, this is something we want to, uh, pursue, and yet they said, no, you aren't good enough. I mean, that's that's got to hit pretty hard. I mean, because that's somebody that you felt intimate and close to that you wanted to do life with, which you are married to now and have two beautiful kids and a family and, you know. So. Yeah, I think some of that was out of, out of spite. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> we said, fine, we'll go get married anyway. Right. Um, no, I, I think the, the big thing in that, you know, now hindsight 2020 looking back you know our actions have consequences okay and and so yeah i mean absolutely i had the these are the things you do these are the things you don't do um but it was very much performance oriented and hyper focused on box checking right um and so but what what it did was it damaged that narrative of Mm -hmm. i'm valuable as an image bearer of god and it it put you know it brought it back around to the, the still not good enough. Mm-hmm. And then the narrative part is so powerful yeah. um, that um, that is why I've found, especially within the context of our community in Romans 12 too, uh, the the intimacy within the brotherhood and and the coming alongside and the, the really doing life together discipleship that we experience is so powerful because it helps to keep you centered in the God-given narrative. And at that time, the narrative of my life was not centered in that God-given narrative. It was fraught with the enemy's lies of not good enough, not measuring up. You've got to perform. You've got to meet expectations. And those expectations sometimes were explicit and sometimes not. Sometimes they were just, you know, implicit or, or in my own head, you know, I think that I need to be this Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was it was out of uh, a fear, you know, the, the, the enemy definitely used a lot of fear and shame and insecurity mm-hmm. um, in my story. But, you know, I wanted to, to get to this real quickly, if I could, just about the narrative of our lives and how powerful that is to shape um, not just our actions, but really uh, our life and um, this is from yesterday. I know we've mentioned Wild at Heart Ministries before, the big uh, influence on our ministry and our personal walks. But this daily reading uh, is an excerpt from Captivating, which was written by Stacy Eldridge, John Eldridge's wife. And it's written for women. But the message about narrative is is so true across the board, men and women. Yes. And um, I'm just going to blast through this as quickly as possible. But over the years, we've come to see that the only thing more tragic than the things that we have happened than the things that have happened to us is what we have done with them. Words were said, painful words. Things were done, awful things, and they shaped us. Something inside of us shifted. We embraced the messages of our wounds. 
We accepted a twisted view of ourselves, and from that, we chose a way of relating to our world. We made a vow never to be in that place again. We adopted strategies to protect ourselves from being hurt again. And here she says woman, but I'm just going to say a person. A person who is living out of a broken, wounded heart is a person who is living a self-protective life. They may not be, a, be aware of it, but it's true. It's our way of trying to save ourselves. We also develop ways of trying to get something out of the love our hearts cried out for. Uh, and then I'm going to skip down here a little bit. The problem is that our plan, this self-protective plan, has nothing to do with God. The wounds we received and the messages they brought formed a sort of unholy alliance with our fallen nature. Uh, as women, she says, uh, we received a deep mistrust in the heart of God towards us. Clearly, he's holding out on us. We'll have to arrange for the life we want. We will control our world, but there is also an ache deep within, an ache for intimacy and for life. We'll have to find a way to fill it, a way that does not require us to trust anyone, especially God, a way that will not require vulnerability. And that was the the narrative that I was in at that moment. Like, I'm not good enough. And that narrative was so powerful that I was like, fine, I'm going to walk away from God. I'm going to walk away from all this because I'm going to find a place where I can be good enough, where people mm. can accept me without judging me and without making me feel like the outsider and the weirdo and mm. uh, and like I'm not meeting your expectations. Like, uh, you know, these people that had been held up uh, mm. as examples, you know, growing up. So that was where that narrative became so powerful and took a turn to where I just, you know, decided to forsake that in pursuit of my own comfort and self-protection. Yes. That's, that's so good and so powerful. Thank you for reading that from that daily reading from Walt at Heart. And yeah, and it's that narrative of God that I hear you are walking away from, that performance yes. of checkboxing and I have to do these things to be so-called accepted not just within the community but it's almost like they were per saying from God it's like that's that was that narrative that that performance that you were sharing with us and and you felt like I had to be the I had to come in and and get and fit in with somebody really quick to kind of make that personality in that community and then when you got to Dallas they they kind of already they could see through that because you were trying to do so much. It seemed like as you're sharing, this is from my perspective, mm-hmm. that you're doing so much that they were kind of like, okay, who's this kid? Why is he almost trying so hard? Like, who is he? Like, mm-hmm. they're they're searching that. And then you found some of that because you found that community and you found some of that acceptance. So you came with them to Austin and there. So as this, you know, it's, as you shared that, that was that narrative because because we know our loving Father, he, he accepts us right now who you are and your story matters, and that's that's when you brought up Romans twelve two, where community we we know from Doctor Ted Roberts, he says you are hurt in community, you can also you can only be healed in community, and mm-hmm. then to share some, you know, this our vision, uh, our first one, a world where men are empowered to overcome the demands of their invisible wounds and live fulfilling, healthy lives. Like, I couldn't see the wounds that were inside me until I got in the community to where, say, Isaac, that's 
where's that coming from? And, and ask more questions to dig a little deeper because they were invisible wounds that I have walled off for so long that had to be brought back to the surface and, and truly forgiven and gave to Christ because, once again, if that's, if that's the centrality that we're looking in community, that's where our identity comes from. And you shared that beautifully, man. I just really wanted to say that a little bit more. And so as, as we're moving on and you're, you're here with Tori, just kind of as you want to bring us into a close here as we move on uh, at this juncture of part two. But yeah, I, the, the one thing that I want to say also with, you know, this whole narrative thing is the most, of the, that's the most amazing thing about our God is that no matter what narrative I'm living in at the moment, he's still there and he's still working. And even in those years of high school and in on into college and some of the you know painful things that I went through in that time frame, um, at 13, I was baptized. And there were some mentors that took me uh, along in that Dallas church that, that absolutely did uh, love me and pursue, you know, really want to help me pursue God and, and pursue holiness and righteousness. And, and, um, there, the value of relationship and the value of, um, intimate relationship, not just surface level friendship, Mm -hmm. um, was instilled in me in those times. And so God was moving in those times and, and, putting these little things in there, like, don't forget this. Don't, it's almost like post-it notes that he put in my, in my timeline, you know? Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I mean, there, you know, I was, I was saved at 13 because, uh, although I was pursuing man's, uh, um, affirmation, man's, uh, you know, approval, right. Um, God really did grip my heart in those years. And um, so I got baptized at 13 and I was, I was moving through that time frame and into the point where I walked away from church and, and from that, you know, forget this, you know, measuring up thing and get to a point where I just went for eight years of just, going out, doing my own thing, pursuing whatever's going to make me feel better. Mm. But that thread of God moving and working in the background remains throughout this, this next chapter of my life, which I don't know, you call the prodigal years, but it was absolutely the prodigal son, you know, spent his, his money in wild living. And, and, and that's what we'll get to next. Um, but but God was there and and maintained that thread through my life so that when I get to that point at the end where I'm in the pigsty coming to my senses, I can look back and see all these little fingerprints of God throughout my life. Yes, the prodigal son years, and we're looking forward to it next time as we hear Nicholas, Nick to Nicholas Part 3. Until then, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Thank you. Amen. You've been listening to Be Transformed with Reverend Christopher Lesper. Be Transformed is an outreach of Romans 12 to Men's Ministry. If you or someone you know needs confidential help or are looking for a place to serve, you can text or call Christopher at 512-238-0000 or romans-12-2.org. That's romans-the-number-one, number-two, letters-t-w-o.org.